0: We all think about what we eat. We plan our meals or count carbs or do any number of other things when it comes to what we put in our bodies. But do you ever think about the flavor of what you consume? Sure you do. What we eat or drink either tastes good or it doesn't. In fact, taste is the number one consideration in what we consume. Yet there's more to it than just like or dislike. And there's even a whole industry dedicated to it. Flavor is memory. Flavor is feeling. Flavor is science. Flavor is art. Flavor is Fona. Welcome to Fona's Flavor University podcast, where we explore the science, artistry, and industry behind flavor. Today's topic is organic. Not that our conversation will flow easily, but actual organic in and of itself. It's a topic that although sounds straightforward, it most certainly is not. And we'll be talking to two experts today who can concede my point. We're going to start today with Fona's regulatory specialist, Amy Talbert, and then we'll follow that up with our regulatory analyst, Jennifer Von Schnasey. Good morning, Amy. Hi, Jen. How are you guys doing today? Good. How are you doing, Corey? I'm well. Thank you guys for joining us today. So as you can tell, we've got two ladies here today to talk to us about the organic landscape. We talked about the beverage landscape last time. But today, we're going to start like we usually do. We're going to have you guys introduce yourselves and tell us how you got to where you got to and how you got to Fona via the connections that we make. So Amy, if you wouldn't mind starting with us, let's talk a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do.
1: Hey there. uh, My name is Amy Talbert. I've been with Fona for about five years now. I am a regulatory specialist. Prior to that, I was a lab technician. And prior to that, I was a student who didn't know what I really wanted to do at all with a chemistry degree. So I ended up going to lab tech, didn't really enjoy that, kind of landed at Fona basically through a recruiting agency by accident. And I immediately was... My my curiosity was filled. I had so much to look at. Regulatory is just one new special interest after another. And that was enough to keep me going. And that's what I like to do. And Jen, how about you?
2: Hi, my name is Jen Von Schnasey. I have also been at FONA for about five years. Um, I'm a regulatory analyst. I'm a biology major, chemistry minor. And I knew I liked doing things in sciences, but I didn't really want to be a doctor because I'm kind of a germaphobe. And so this year has been interesting. Um, (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah. So in my previous job, previous life, I authored safety data sheets. And that was actually one of the skills they were looking for when they were hiring for regulatory. That's one of the things we do. So um, I got brought on because of that niche. But then through working here, I've completely learned a ton of stuff about foods and flavors that I never knew before. So it's been really interesting.
0: What I find interesting is you guys, your leader, manager, whatever, Jen Howell, uh, has been here on the podcast before. And all of you have this odd spark uh, just when you talk about (laughs) regulatory. Like, I mean, most people would just cry and be like, no, I don't want to be regular. I don't want to know about that. It's laws and rules. But all of you guys, like Amy's doing hand gestures of excitement and Jen just smiled throughout her whole thing.
2: Oh, I'm a rule follower. So this is like the ideal place for me.
0: (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense now. All right. So let's dive into today's topic. We're going to start really broad here. And I'm going to ask you guys to kind of reel us in because I know this topic is huge. What is organic? I go to the store, I pick up, say, a package of chicken breast, and I see on there that it says organic. And, you know, health conscious me, which doesn't exist, basically says, you know, I'm excited about this. This is probably healthy. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm right. What does this organic thing mean?
2: Yeah. So I think that, you know, assuming that organic food is healthy is not an unreasonable assumption. Basic big premise rules with organic is you're not going to have anything genetically engineered. You're not going to have any ionizing radiation. It's not going to be any sewage sludge, but I'm still wondering what food does have sewage sludge. I think that's reasonable. Um, there's also like nothing synthetic, minimal processing, like certain, only certain methods are allowed. So I mean, that's big level kind of how organic's different.
0: So, is it more in like the processing that we're looking at here, or is there like separate places on a farm where I can go and see organic chickens? Like, oh, yeah. or free like, range so
2: you know, oddly enough, organic, like if you're switching to an organic if you have a conventional farm and you want to switch to an organic farm, you have to actually grow organic for three years and not label it that way, like just to quote unquote, get out all the conventional, like possibly ingredients or you know just anything
0: so being that this is the flavor university, we Definitely concentrate on flavor when we're talking about certain things. When it comes to organic food, what kind of flavors am I looking for? Is it go- am I going to taste the difference, or is that the point that I don't taste the difference and it still tastes good or as it should?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of times you're probably not going to taste the difference because at the end of the day, let's be honest, it's processed food, and if it doesn't really taste that good, people probably aren't going to keep buying it. So. We have to formulate flavors that can meet that organic standard criteria, but still do their job as flavors, which is make it taste good.
0: Which begs the question organic or natural? What am I looking for? What should I go with? You know, is one better than the other? Is there a difference?
1: So basically, if you're speaking to the consumer, then if the question is natural or organic, that's kind of up to you. But from our perspective as regulators, Natural is only defined by the FDA in the case of flavor and basically only means the absence of artificial flavor. Organic for a flavor would meet certain organic criteria from the USDA. To you, it's going to be what you're going to choose what you want.
0: So if it's basically perception, whatever I perceive is better one than the other, how is organic perceived by customers? And is there a percentage or something that manufacturers need to meet in order to call it organic?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people, even if they don't understand the nuts and bolts of it, they see organic and it's kind of like a thundershirt, for lack of better words. Like It's something that makes them feel happy and safe that, oh, it must be good. It says organic. But yeah, there are percentages. So in order for a product to stay organic, 95% of the ingredients within that product have to be certified themselves. And then therefore the product can be certified through the certification agencies.
0: Yeah. Okay, so, there, so there's basically something saying, you know, this much of a percentage and it's organic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. What about, are there certain things out there that can't be declared organic?
2: Yeah. So in the beginning when I kind of talked about high level, like no genetic modifications, no radiation, things like that. Otherwise, be a little technical here, the 7 CFR, 205, 605, and 606 lists. Those will list different types of ingredients that are allowed in organic food, but don't need to be certified themselves. So there is that little 5% that has to follow all the rules of organic, like it can't be synthetic, etc. But those ingredients don't have to be certified.
0: Do you guys have an example of a food or spice or anything like that that can't be labeled as organic? Or is everything up for grabs depending on if they meet these criteria?
2: Yeah, it's not a list of like, Product X, Y, and Z, or this fruit could never be organic. It depends on the processing methods.
0: So, when I think of organic, I think of clean. So, in my head, you know, I don't believe that anybody out there is, you know, scrubbing every cracker I eat or anything like that with water or whatnot. You know, what are some of the methods that are used to declare something organic?
1: So, there are a lot of commonly used processes in the agricultural world to make food safe to eat a lot of those processes are things that would disqualify something from being organic. So for example, you get cinnamon from a tree, right? It's literally bark, that's why it's curled up. You can't wash it because it's so porous. So instead of washing it, a industrial manufacturer may either irradiate cinnamon or with a micro dot of irradiation or spray it with ethylene oxide. Those methods of microbial control are not permitted in organic foods. That being said, don't go to the supermarket and suddenly throw off Christmas cookie plans for the year because cinnamon's all irradiated. One, it's only a micro dot of irradiation. It's less than what than would be found in eating a whole banana. And two, all irradiated spices have to be marked on their bottle. So if you go out there, you will see some, some organic foods state no irradiation, but also some non-organic foods will also not have a mark to indicate that it's irradiated, which is a rule through the FDA.
0: So these procedures, these requirements, they probably differ from you the know, United States to say Canada or Europe, something like that. How do they differ?
1: Oh, are you talking about organic requirements as they change internationally?
0: That is exactly what I'm saying.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa. Speaking of that,
2: so yes, luckily, I feel like a lot of countries have worked together to make a lot of things equivalencies or equivalent. i say the only caveat is there's little things that they maybe didn't 100% agree on. So for example, everything that we make that's organic in the US can be organic in Canada because the differences lie in things like you can't use hydroponics or aeroponics. You can't use sodium nitrate and you can't treat plants or animals with antibiotics. So there's like three little differences. But luckily, there are things that are easy enough to comply with.
0: Now, do companies have different departments that deal with this side of the regulatory? Or is it all just lumped into one regulatory area? Like, do you guys handle both external and internal or what?
2: Yeah. So I guess I can't speak to all companies. All I can do from my experience is, yes, we handle all that within our regulatory. I will add too. So The EU has recently made some changes to their organic as far as flavors are concerned. And the whole point of this is to drive the use of organic crops. They want 95% of the flavor itself to come from the name source. So things like you know grapes, lemons, orange, they want 95% of that flavor to come from an orange itself and not just other natural flavors driving that profile.
0: And that's going to affect the taste, I would assume.
2: Yeah. So so some things I feel like it can be a little easier to do than others, like things that have a nice thick peel, like an orange or grapefruit or lemon or something like that. But things like watermelon and grape, that's going to be an uphill battle. It also impacts things like shelf life. A lot of times it'll decrease the shelf life. So there's some practical concerns that are challenging there.
0: Now, with all this in mind and all, you know, all the certifications, regulatory effects and whatnot, and I, I've been asking this question of pretty much everybody we've talked to. How has the current pandemic situation affected your position or what you do on day to day?
2: Yeah, um, I can say one thing that's happened is, you know, I think we've all heard about supply chain issues in every facet of life. We're not exempt to that either. So You know, we have to find more suppliers that offer the materials that we're already using in our flavors, be those certified materials or suitable materials. And honestly, not even just organic, but overall. So it just, it makes more for us to have to review and make sure that everything is compliant of these alternate sources we're looking at.
0: Now with these supply chain issues, I know organic tends to be more on the expensive side as it is. Is that affecting price as well?
2: I'm not involved in that per se. (laughs) but i would say you know things that drive organic to be more expensive are there's more work involved you know we have to pay a certifier to certify our products we have to fill out more paperwork and do things that we don't have to do for conventional flavors so it's things of that nature that drive the organic cost
0: and are you finding that customers are asking you more questions at this point in time about organic or about natural flavors or is that just you know something that you know day to day you answer those questions
2: Yeah, I'd say it's pretty constant. Um, I wouldn't say that the pandemic, one way or another, or supply chain issues, have changed that at all.
0: So, if you're getting a lot of, you know, kind of similar questions between now and the pandemic or before, what what are those questions? What questions are consumers asking of us in the regulatory department?
2: Yeah, so a question that I get a lot from customers is, "Do I have to have an organic certified flavor in my organic product?" And of course, Reg likes to answer. It depends. but I can tell you kind of the pros and cons. Do you have to have the flavor certified? No. However, there is a commercial availability rule that says if the flavor is commercially available in organic certified form, you need to use it. So that can either be, it's got to be available in quantity, quality, and form to perform the necessary function, function being flavor. So basically what they want to do again is drive the increase of organic crops being grown. So If there is a like, let's say, strawberry flavor that's certified, you'll need to use that and prove to your certifier on an annual basis that you have researched and made sure that there aren't any equivocal certified versions out there if you want to use the conventional flavor. So I typically encourage customers to go ahead and use a certified product because that really decreases the work you have to do on an annual level to go ahead and use the certified version.
0: You start a lot of your answers to your customers with, it depends. Mm -hmm. Is there really that much in the regulatory area that's got that much play in it that's not black and white?
2: It really is. And it has a lot to do with the risk level and comfort and comprehension of the regs on the end user's level. You know, We can say what we glean from the regulations and how we would do it. At the end of the day, it's their product to do with what they will based on their risk level.
0: Makes sense.
2: And again, like, They can go certified, they can go compliant flavor. Those are both allowed, but there's pros and cons of how much work you need to do on the annual level to prove that you've searched and that there's not a certified version. In my opinion, it's easier to get a certified version and be done.
0: Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure a lot of the companies would rather do all the work up front than have to deal Mm -hmm. with the consequences after the fact.
2: I, I would. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's like taking out the garbage. You know, I can either <laughs> play Django with it for a while, you know, and then deal with the consequence of the smell, <laughs> or ripping. I can take care of it, you know.
1: Staying on topic, my work revolves a lot around GMO, non GMO, and bioengineering as it relates to the new USDA regulation. Surprisingly different from organic. But we will get a lot of customers asking about organic certified or organic compliant flavors if they're compliant and they wouldn't prompt bioengineering labeling with the new regulation. And it's exempt. I get to give them good news for once. It's it's exempt. (laughs) So literally, there's a stipulation in the reg that says, if it's organic, we're not even going to talk about it. So I get to give people good news.
0: Now, you mentioned GMO in there. Now, being a consumer myself, not really looking for this, I don't know what that means. What is GMO?
1: So, GMO generally stands for Genetically Modified Organism. That will be some sort of agricultural product that is subject to genetic modification. I know that sounds really big, but there is a list Of, I don't want to say problem children because that sounds negative, but likely suspects for, um, genetic modification in agricultural products. And those are tracked and are available through the USDA. So I remember I have this weird, weird, weird memory as a child of hearing about genetic modified tomatoes. That was a really, really hot button issue for a while (laughs) when I was in fifth grade. But, uh, that never happened. You can't get a genetically modified tomato. And that is not listed through the USDA. So it was just a like a shark tank idea that never went anywhere. So if you're curious about whether or not the food you're buying non-GMO or organic can even be GMO, I would check with the USDA, their marketing website. It's it's pretty informative.
0: It sounds very science fiction to me.
1: It It really is. I mean, it's if you think about like something that we all rely on incredibly heavily all over the world corn hmm. the united states doesn't import any corn why is that because we make it all at home you can drive around you can see it all over the place that corn the sort of feed corn that we feed to animals at large and also grind down into food starches and maltodextrins that's all been genetically engineered to withstand things like droughts and floods. So the opposites of droughts, pests, just about anything. So we can have a stable, we, the world, can have a stable supply chain of those necessary ingredients. However, if you look on the USDA website, you'll see that sweet corn is not mentioned because sweet corn, even though you go to the store, you see the sweet corn there, you can buy it, tastes great. No GMO varieties exist of that.
0: So in the long run, it kind of seems like you could be on either side of the coin on this one. You could be non-GMO and that's supporting, say, you know, healthy eating. Or you could be GMO and that's supporting a sustainable food supply.
1: Yeah. Or you could just buy what food tastes good because that's what over 90% of consumers do. The organic board regularly checks how many people are actively looking to purchase organic food. And they find that I remember a study from a while ago. They said, if your food suddenly contained a bioengineering or a GMO declaration, would you keep buying it? And the reality is most people would keep buying it. So I think when we talk about things like GMO or non-GMO, we, we in the industry exclude a major part of the population which just want to eat food and they just want to be able to buy food and take it home to their kids. You know,
0: I can honestly promise I've never looked at a label for GMO or non-GMO at this point in time.
1: I do to to get mad, but like (laughs) not like (laughs) out of any like observation for my health. Yeah. So I think
2: the other thing is like Corey, you kind of alluded to like you can be on either side of the coin the health side or the sustainability side. I think it's a common misconception that GMO has any negative health impacts. Like. It seems to be like what people think when they go to the store and they're like, oh, non GMO. It kind of again gives them that warm, fuzzy feeling. But like Amy said, the point of this is we want crops that are not going to be totally killed off if there's a drought or things like that. Modifying those properties has no impact on the health of the end user.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm glad you point that out because honestly, that was the fight in my head mm-hmm. was more of, you know, well, what's so bad about it if we're trying to? It's not a case of good or bad. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a case mm-hmm. of different. Absolutely. So, with, with all this in mind, I mean, you know, when we hear genetically modified, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, like we're genetically modifying.
2: Yeah, the, we're not like growing a third arm right anything.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, this stuff leads me to changes. What kind? Of, I mean, GMO is probably something it seems relatively new to me, uh, as far as new on the horizon. What other things are we going to be looking forward to in the regulatory future when it comes to, say, organic?
2: Yeah, um, one thing I've that's on the horizon. I've you know listened to some different organic webinars, you know, run by the USDA or FEMA. Uh, one thing that I caution people is there is um, talk of removing uncertified handlers from the organic program, which means if I'm, let's say, a type of broker, I'm not certified, but I buy organic from vendor X and sell it to vendor Y, they're going to want those people eventually to be certified and not have that middleman touching it that's not certified. Right now, there's just a very basic questionnaire for them to fill out in the middle, but they're trying to, again, strengthen organic integrity. And that's
1: something that's on the horizon that might change.
0: Seems very blockchain (laughs) when I hear it like that. Amy, what do you think?
1: Given my quality background and also a little bit of my non-GMO project work, it just sounds like what everyone else is doing. Traceability is the name of the game right now. And chain of custody, as it relates to... I just did air quotes. As it relates to every single raw material that goes into a product, they know that that's half of their value proposition. I mean, I think consumers aren't dumb. They want to know that what they're buying is what it says on the package. And I think if you brought up to any Joe Schmo buying a non-GMO project or organic or just quality piece of food, and they found out that, hey, along the way to getting to you, um, some guy named Al who has no relation to the program picks it up, carries it around for a little bit, and then gives it to someone else who is... You know, verified or certified or validated in some sort of way, people are going to have questions about that. And I think it's just part of the value proposition to consumers as being that, hey, from point A to point B, everything is checked and accounted for.
0: Now, does less middleman mean less work for you guys?
2: Yes. I'm not sure if it's more or less just different right now. Any vendor that we go through has to be certified. If they're not certified, I have to there's a, so there's a little handy-dandy database. It's the USDA Organic Integrity Database. Anybody can go on there and look up who's certified who's not. So if I do business with a vendor that's not certified, I need to make sure that I have that uncertified handler affidavit filled out for our certification agency. So not more or less, it's just, do I get an organic cert or do I get this questionnaire? It's one or the other.
0: So we're coming to the end of the podcast here. And we usually ask for some takeaways. So I'd like for you guys to give us some key regulatory takeaways, if you can. So Amy, why don't you start for us?
1: A takeaway could be, if you're thinking about whether or not you want to go organic or natural or non-GMO, that's going to depend entirely on what your end consumer is going to want to purchase from you. So know your consumer, know your market, and say all that up. Go in with a goal upfront. My other key
2: takeaway is we're here to help. Contact your flavor company, let them know what you're looking for, what criteria you have, and what claims you want to state on your own product. The sooner that you can get that information in, within the project timeline, the better it is for everybody.
0: Well, thank you both for coming today. Now it comes to kind of the less serious part, if that was considered serious. This is the less serious part of the podcast. I'm going to ask you three questions. I just want you to shoot right off the cuff and tell me, you know, the answers to each one of these questions. And Jen, since you have the mic right now, I'll ask you first. Let's start with your favorite flavor. What is your favorite flavor?
2: Well, I like a lot of flavors. I like a lot of food, but I would say I do really like. I think it's lukuma is how you say it. Like ice cream that's flavored with lukuma is so good.
0: What is it? (laughs) Like you're you're describing this like everybody should know what lukuma is. What give me something to contrast it to or compare it to rather.
2: I feel like it's almost like vanilla but better like you know like you ask me what's a grape taste like it tastes like a grape um, but lucuma I would say it's a type of fruit to me when you have it in ice cream it's like vanilla but just better
0: now if that's your favorite what's your least favorite flavor something you won't touch
2: well I love dogs but I don't really love the dog food flavors like my our palate's just different you know I can tell when I come home smelling like it. It's cool for the dogs because they like are obsessed with my clothes. Like, what does that smell? But yeah, it just doesn't really float my boat.
0: <laughs> that is the most honest answer I've had. Like, people actually pick something that like you know normal humans would eat. Like,
1: oh my god, oh I'm gonna
0: choose. You so, know, I don't like mint or I don't like this. No, Jenga's <laughs> right for dog food.
1: I'm cracking up because I know exactly what she's talking about. But it literally sounds like you're like I do not enjoy my dog's dog food. I do not like to eat it. I do not el- enjoy it at all. The taste and texture is all wrong. The smell is bad.
0: I could just see the two of you sitting home with a box of milk bones, just like just, Mel Gibson. and. and, and I used uh, to
1: eat milk bones as a child. Oh, it seemed like a, it's a cookie. It was a cookie.
0: So Jen, I got one last question for you. <laughs> Sorry. And that, that last question is, what is a weird regulatory fact that you can think of?
2: So this kind of comes up from now and again at work. And I actually heard it on the radio around a year ago at this time the myth or fable like is there really beaver butt in your flavors the castorium whoever in history thought they were going to take a component of beaver butt and then eat it i don't know how that came to be but we don't use that in our flavors
0: so that actually came up when jen was talking about odd facts or you know vanilla in general cuz i believe that was the topic at the time but it's amazing how much beaver butt comes up in our conversations <laughs> But all right. So thanks, Jen. Amy, how about over to you? Let's talk about your favorite flavor. What is something that you know brings you back or that you reach for every time?
1: Oh, so um, I feel like the U.S. market does not have nearly enough investment in delicious, like savory flavors. They're mostly in gravy mixes and stuff like that. But international foods like in the Asian and China, like Chinese, Japanese, Korean markets, they are so good at making soup. They're so good at making soup taste good. And it's all the natural flavor or the artificial flavor. When I'm going to the store and I am looking for soup, I look for artificial flavor because I know that it will actually be impactful.
0: It, it reminds me, it makes me think of like anime food.
1: Yeah. I yeah. Mean. How it looks really good. Yeah. It looks really good. And it's because of the MSG and the artificial flavor. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, if that's your favorite, what's your least favorite?
1: My, <laughs> I mean, like, I feel like I've got to say dog food. Um, <laughs> my actual least favorite flavor is, you know, like the pink Starburst. I literally throw them away. People are like, what's wrong with you? That's the best one. And I'm like, it's so bad. It's strawberry or something. It's terrible.
0: I couldn't tell you. I've never had a Starburst in my life.
1: You're probably a better person for it. Uh-huh. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know.
0: So if you could have like a, a whole roll of one color, one flavor, well, what would it be?
1: Probably either the red or the yellow.
0: Fair enough. Because yeah. that's all that's left, right? There's no there's no other colors in there. There's the
1: orange one too. The oh, orange okay. one's also fine. I'll leave that one. It's like middle ground.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, that does it for our Flavor University podcast. We want to thank our special guests, Amy Talbert and Jennifer Von Schneezy for discussing our regulatory topic. Very crazy. Very interesting. On behalf of the Flavor University podcast, I'm Corey Doucette. Thanks for listening. And until next time, the flavor of Fona is the flavor of life. So get out there and taste it.